a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Man, I am so glad you could join us today. We had a few technical difficulties we were ironing out uh, en route to uh, getting things on the air this afternoon. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to say that they were all ironed out and there is, uh, there's a lot to cover. And I want to start with something that, uh, that is, to me, absolutely heartwarming. And that is, um, it's a message I received from, uh, from one of my listeners who left a comment on thebrianhydeshow.com on the website. And it wasn't just the message. Okay, look, I love to to hear from people who are listening. I love to get the feedback. But what I really love is when someone responds in the way that this guy did. His his name is Rob Kaiser. And Rob, I'm going to just share with you the, the message he left for me. He said, I'm not a columnist, but I felt compelled to write a column today. He says, go figure. I have no idea who to submit it to, so I'm sending it to you. And this is what was on his mind. Open rebellion in Pennsylvania. He says, in my home state, a new birth of liberty began yesterday, December 12th, 2020. It was a truly great day in Pennsylvania history. Well, not to say the level of, say, July 4th, 1776 or December 15th, 1791, the day the Bill of Rights was ratified, but certainly the most notable in my lifetime. Quite the claim, right? He says it sure is. And it sure was. So he says, I decided to write a column about it. Now, why would some guy who's not a columnist, never had anything published, and is otherwise of little note from small-town Pennsylvania write a column? Well, he says, to be honest, I hope many real columnists will write it. They should. They know what they're doing. I don't. But then I thought, what if they don't? I mean, I know mainstream media writers will put their very predictable, skewed perspective on it. Who needs that? What if no one who sees the danger at hand, who no one who understands liberty, writes about it? He says time would slowly pass and we'd forget how magical this day was. That would be tragic. Can't let that happen. So despite my ignorance in the world of column writing, here I go. On Thursday, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf announced new restrictions he purported would substantially mitigate the spread of SARS-CoV-2. The impact, uh, most impactful of which would be the prohibition of all indoor on-premises dining. Effective date was to be a mere two days later. 12, 12, 20, and run through uh, January 4th of 2021. A restaurateur's most lucrative time of year and obviously not a time when outdoor dining is feasible at this latitude. 15 days to flatten the curve, still likely echoing in their heads from March. Many knew this would be a knockout punch, even if it were lifted after the three weeks. The savings were gone. The trust was gone. They knew their livelihoods and those of their employees was next. It would all be gone. Pushed hard against this ominous wall, it was either continue to submit or rebel. A decision I'm sure very few thought they'd ever have to contemplate. And he says it began slowly at first. I first noticed it Friday morning. One, 
then the other, then the next, some just expressing exasperation, some timidly putting it out to their social media followers, asking if they kept their doors open, would they come out in support? Some just laying it down with no holes barred. Statements like, there's no standing down now, the time has come, we all need to stand together, etc. Fenichis of Hershey was the first I noticed of those who hadn't already taken such a stand back in the spring. Then the heroic restaurant owners of Round the Clock in York, Taste of Sicily in Palmyra, Faze in Carlisle, stood nearly alone. There was no wave then. Now there was, and boy did it grow quickly, very quickly. He says, I could hardly believe my eyes. I began listing the establishments who decided they had nothing to lose and were just going to roll the dice and stay open in defiance of the governor's edict. He says, I started with a list of about a dozen or so of which I was aware. I was stoked. I'd been praying for and encouraging such a movement since at least the end of May, when it had become more obvious that the mitigation efforts were misguided. But would it grow? Well, he says, I didn't know, but I had hope. I posted those and was almost immediately faced with numerous folks who also opposed the lockdowns, mind you, insisting we not post the names. We must keep it on the down low. You're putting them all at risk by letting Wolf know, they claimed. SWAT teams would be sent in, they believed. Such silliness. I argued we should not keep the names quiet. I said that's what unfortunate folks in authoritarian states, whose citizens are not blessed with the protections afforded by our Constitution, must do. Not us. It's beyond time we boldly and openly stand against the egregious usurpation of our rights as a free people. If we refuse to do so now, when the law is on our side, and it is, there may soon come a time when taking that stand will come at a far greater cost, and far fewer will be willing to take it with you. Well, that shut most of them down. Others, he says, I just decided to ignore. What's the point? If someone believes they're already living in a police state, they'll be of no use in the effort at hand. Just move on. I thought, and so I did. Around noon on Saturday, as my wife and I were walking into a local restaurant, we knew would be remaining open. Another patron on the way out remarked, it's just great to tell the governor where to stick it. Oh, yes, it is, we said. As we were waiting for our food, I posted our whereabouts as well as an updated list of open establishments. That turned out to be my last update to my list. They just just couldn't keep up with it after that. There were over a 100 on my list at that time. I knew it was nowhere near comprehensive. Many other lists were being posted from all corners of the state. It was beautiful. Tear in my eye, he says, I gave praise to God for it finally happening. I wouldn't be surprised if the number is well in, well in excess of a 1,000 at this point. There's nothing Wolf can do in the face of that kind of mass peaceful protest and open rebellion. It's effectively over, and it was done by the people. He says, if you're one of the entrepreneurs who made the difficult choice to take back your right to earn a living and remain open, congratulations. Take pride in what you've done regardless of your motivation. We all owe you a debt of gratitude. He says, I thank you sincerely and commit to supporting you with our patronage as much as possible through the coming days. Nine months it was, huh? Interesting. Just like a human life. Apparently the gestation period for the birth of liberty, for a birth of liberty in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is nine months. Regardless, just as upon the birth of a newborn baby, it's time for celebration. Rejoice. Okay. This is a great example on a couple of different levels of the kind of thinking, the kind of people that we need to be as wrong thinkers. 
Number one, please note, it involves totally peaceful behavior. And I'm, and I'm going to start with Rob here. Rob felt that there was something more that he could be doing, that he should be doing. And I know there are those of you who feel this too. You feel that sense of calling. But maybe you're a little bit uh, hesitant, right? Because, I mean, people are going to criticize you. People are going to call you names. They will question your motives. But rather than waiting for someone in authority to tell him, well, Rob, you know, what you could do is sit down and maybe write uh, an essay about this. He just did it. He didn't wait until he had somewhere for it to be published. He didn't wait till he'd built an audience or built a platform. He sat down, put his thoughts on paper, and I think did a marvelous job. By the way, Rob, I, you may not be a columnist, but you, you communicated your point brilliantly. And more importantly, he shared the example of people who are actually living like free people. Not looting, not rioting, not burning, not beating, not threatening. Just simply claiming their liberty, using it without waiting for permission from someone on high. That's how it works. And Rob, I want to thank you for sharing a, a very vivid example of how it should be and how appropriate in the birthplace of liberty in Pennsylvania that you would see this start to happen. I mean, this is proof it can be done. I was watching earlier today a, a video, I think it was from a gymnasium owner in uh, Jersey, where, where the governor, whew, you want to talk about a heel clicker. Yeah, that's, uh, that governor is, is really going after him. And, and this gym, as I understand it, has over $100,000 in fines that have been levied against it so far. Like 20 different citations. People have been arrested. Their, their doors have been chained shut and barricaded by authorities determined to keep them from opening. And this guy is just standing there silently, peeling off signs, one sentence at a time, kind of like the NXS video. And and just he he doesn't say a word. He lets the the words on the paper speak for him. But I tell you, there's so many people working out in that gym. <laughs> there are so many people who are there in defiance of all those pronouncements from on high. Is there risk? Yeah, there is. Freedom always has risk, but it also favors those who are bold enough to claim it, and use it, and defend it. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, lines are open, 801-331-8113. If you are so inclined, feel free to weigh in. So the news came out this weekend that uh, the first truckloads of COVID vaccine are making their way across the country. And that means a moment of decision is approaching. In fact, uh, my, my dear friend John the Liberal, that's what he called himself from years ago when I was broadcasting in, in southern Utah. John was, uh, was one of my uh, mountain biking buddies and, and actually one of my favorite listeners. And he still is one of my favorite people today. Just because 
he and I could be friends without having to agree on everything. So when, when you hear me say John the Liberal, I'm not calling him that to put him down or to, to use an epithet. It's, it's a term of affection, and he's really more like John the Skeptic. But, uh, but I love the man because he really he holds my feet to the fire. And he called me or he uh, texted me actually today saying, so are you going to get the vaccine? And I realized, boy, I think we're all facing that decision right now. Will you take the vaccine or not? And I think maybe more to the point, will the vaccine be forced on you or not? Because I think for a lot of us, that's going to be the question. Now, I am not in favor of anything that is such a great idea that it has to be made mandatory. That just doesn't float my boat. And it's funny because uh, my wife, Becky, who is possibly the most understanding person on the face of the earth, she has to be in order to be married to me. Um, she and I have not always lined up very well on a number of the COVID issues, masks in particular. And I, I don't fault her for this. She's certainly not the only one who thinks, why are you such a diehard about uh, not following the mask mandate? Why, are, why is it such an issue to you? It's not that big a deal. And that's one of the places where we've disagreed. And I was a little bit surprised when uh, talking with her last week about the vaccine. And she said, I don't want to take the vaccine. I am not in favor of a mandatory vaccine. And I went, whoa, okay. And it's interesting because in her profession, she's a school teacher. It's very likely they are going to mandate you have to take it as condition of employment. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, um, outgoing Governor Gary Herbert in my home state of Utah, I believe has stated that teachers are going to be the very first recipients of the COVID vaccine. So uh, whether you work in uh, you know the public sector or not, there's a very good chance mandatory vaccination, compulsory vaccination is going to be on the table. And if you wait until the moment where you're standing there considering, oh, man, do I... Do I take the shot or quit my job? You've probably waited too long. The decision's already been made for you by your inaction. Christine Smith has a has a great essay. It was published today on uh, the Future of Freedom Foundation, FFF.org. Mandatory vaccination and liberty. And she gets right to the point. Compulsory vaccination has no place in a free society. Now, on December 4th, 2020, a bill was introduced to the New York State Legislature, which would, if passed and enacted, result in mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations. The pertinent text from the bill, quote, if public health officials determine that sufficient immunity has not been developed, this legislation will allow the Department of Health to require vaccination for individuals able to safely receive the vaccine. End quote. And Christine Smith says, as I consider this infringement on individual sovereignty, I perused the Internet on topics related to self-ownership. And just when I think I've seen it all, I came across writings touting mandatory vaccination is consistent with liberty and libertarianism. To which she says, really? She says, I found the, fi- the primary focus of those making the case for compulsory vaccination being it is an act of aggression to endanger other people. By being unvaccinated, a child, for example, is infringing upon the rights of other children by subjecting them to unnecessary risk to such serious illness. 
Such advocates argue that the state is legitimized in using coercion to protect the rights of individuals from those who would use force against them. Force in this case being putting them at a higher risk of physical harm. They focus on the community or collective interest versus individual interests. Now, she asks the question, do such arguments have any merit whatsoever for a libertarian? And the answer is no. To allow the state to force parents to have children vaccinated or face punishment is fundamentally an affront on the right of the individual. Likewise, politicians advocating for mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations, should they deem it necessary, must be stopped from implementing yet another freedom-killing assault on the individual. She says no degree of alleged protection of the herd justifies an individual forsaking sovereignty of their body. Expropriating such individual liberty for the sake of a collective's well-being is the basis for all manner of liberty-restrictive actions. If indeed a given vaccine instills protection against disease, those who willingly choose to receive it should find comfort in their assumed likely protection against becoming sick themselves, as well as an assurance against a widespread outbreak occurring. I like her point here, and yet I know there are people who will insist, but unless everybody gets it, it's not going to work. I'm not sure I follow the logic there. Let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Well, I didn't hear the squeak. Anyway, uh, you know, when any, whenever you get a vaccine, you shed the virus for up to two to three weeks out of your pores, so you're really contagious. You walk around amongst people and expose them to the virus. Did you know that it's called shedding? I've heard of it. Doctors never talk about it because they don't they don't want it to be known. And by the way, once you get the uh, once you get your vaccine and you're supposed to have antibodies, you still have to wear the mask for the rest of your life. Is what Fauci said right now. So, so it isn't, isn't really gonna, it isn't really going to change anything that much. No, no, because they're going to require you to wear the mask regardless. I should say irregardless because it's Utah. <laughs> but anyway, that's yeah. kind of, you know, these masks, they suck, you know. You breathe in your own carbon dioxide and all the germs that are being swept out of your lungs by the little filaments, the little cilia, that's constantly sweeping your lungs from the bottom to the top to clean them out. You breathe it all back in. And then and underneath the mask, it's a petri dish because it's hot and moist. So it's a breathing ground for bacteria and fungus and whatever. So people aren't, you know, you come down with, you'll get bronchitis and pneumonia. My daughter got walking pneumonia from it and uh, a horrible sinus infection that she had a heck of a time getting rid of because the doctor told her it says that mask is nothing but a Petri dish, you know, breathing your own germs back in and, and plus they're incubating under there, multiplying. All righty, thanks. Okay, thanks so much for the call. Yeah, there, there are plenty of reasons to be skeptical. And, and Christine Smith talks about how, uh, you know, the first vaccination mandates worldwide started back in the late 1800s. This was for smallpox. And then is now some vehemently opposed compulsory vaccination with some anti-vaccination groups successfully repealing compulsory vaccination laws in several states at the time. 
I guess riots in opposition took place in Leicester, England in 1885. And the battle spanning from the late 19th century to the present wages on between the government and such groups. Penalties for noncompliance varied from county or from country to country, rather, and within region to region. Although a requirement for entry into government-run or public schools, exemptions have been permitted in most states for religious objectors, with a few states allowing an exemption for those with other stated reasons deemed philosophical. However, she points out, there is even a push by some to eliminate such, such exemptions on the fear that as it becomes more acceptable to oppose vaccinations, the number objecting will increase to the degree that herd immunity will be threatened. And she says a community's defense against an illness such as measles must not be compromised, it's argued. Yet it's not just an easily contagious disease for which they seek mandatory vaccination. Some seek mandatory vaccination against a disease which is only spread through intimate contact as well. She's talking about the HPV vaccine. We'll come back to this in just a few moments. Again, the word that has to jump out at you is mandatory. That means backed by government force. And that is bad juju. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out to uh, one of my sponsors that would be Alta Bank. That's my good friend, John Staples. Yes. The mortgage guy, if you are listening to this uh, from within my home state of Utah, John's the guy you want to talk to. Alta Bank has the resources all across the state to help you with a refi or with a new home loan. John was telling me last week that, holy cow, the uh, the interest rates are are very low. They were historically low a few weeks ago when we talked, and he said, it's insane how low they are now. But here's the good news. He can get things done and get them done quickly. So I know time is of the essence. If you go to the show notes, which you'll find at the com show notes for December 14th, right there at the bottom of the page, there's a nice little email link that'll take you right to John. You can take it up with him. So I'm sharing this article from Christine Smith. This is on the Future of Freedom Foundation's website, Mandatory Vaccination and Liberty. And when you see this start to become mandatory, it's not just going to be communicable disease or easily contagious disease, but you're also seeing this being pushed in areas where, for instance, uh, there's, there's strong societal pressure to advance the HPV, HPV vaccine. What's that? The human papilloma virus to prevent sur- surgical, I'm sorry, cervical cancer and genital warts. And Christine Smith says, what clearer example is there of personal intrusion on an individual than to force them to receive an injection for protection against a sexually transmitted illness? The individual decides to incur whatever risks are involved in having a relationship with another, and it's clearly not a matter of risk to anyone else, thus proving the push for compulsory vaccinations is not the protection of the herd, but control over the individual. And for those currently giving exemptions, given exemptions, not all religions oppose vaccines, making it unavailable for non-followers to use that excuse. Some resort to using arguments addressing safety concerns, which is then countered by those upholding vaccination based on a risk assessment of benefits versus adverse reactions. 
But here's the interesting part. What's never questioned is why an individual must have an excuse, which the ever-powerful government evaluates to approve or not. Hadn't really thought of it that way. But I kind of look at the mask mandates the same way. You know, when when you go into the store, you know, do you do you have to have justification? I have a medical condition. I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't wear it because I have an excuse. Why do you have to have an excuse? You know, in the case of compulsory vaccinations, Christine Smith says they're an assault on an individual's unalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness as enshrined in the Declaration of Independence. This recognition of the individual is the bedrock upon which the Constitution and the American government are built. To have to defend the opt-out option is turning the entire controversy upside down. Personal autonomy trumps the collective, with vaccinations justified only by being offered or recommended, but not coerced. And yet the Supreme Court ruled Jacobson v. Massachusetts back in 1905 that states were permitted to require mandatory vaccinations of citizens and that doing so did not violate the 14th Amendment. And this case is also used as a precedent for other matters like government-issued orders regarding face masks or limitations on public gatherings and movement, etc. So this may be a stance upon which some libertarians could buttress their arguments in favor of compulsory vaccinations, yet it falls short of the principles underlying the libertarian or liberty philosophy. She says to blindly accept any SCOTUS decision without independent examination and evaluation of its constitutionality or lack thereof is to simply acquiesce to the collective as if it knows better than thou. And she reminds us the federal judiciary is made of fallible humans, and it can, of course, be incorrect in its interpretation of constitutional law, as evidenced by over 300 of its previous decisions having been overruled. And that's not even counting those which were abrogated by amendments or congressional statutes. Now, she says the 1700s are filled with fascinating historical accounts of inoculation and its opponents. As the world suffered suffered from the ravages of uh, the deadly variola virus, which causes smallpox. We know some of the founding fathers of our nation received smallpox vaccines that George Washington mandated the Continental Army, comprised of volunteers, be inoculated, and that James Madison signed the Vaccine Act of 1813, which encouraged vaccination and assisted in its distribution. Both Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were strong inoculation advocates, with Franklin's son succumbing to the disease. They focused on science and the education of the people, with Franklin going so far as to found the Society for Inoculating the Poor gratis. Today's vaccines have drastically reduced many dangerous diseases that previously plagued the world. Our founders saw the value of this firsthand. Yet their emphasis on the public health benefit never extended to coercion in order to accomplish it. Why do you suppose that is? Christine Smith says it's self-evident there's nothing more personal than the human body of an individual. Whether it's oneself or a parent on behalf of a child, the individual's unalienable rights, certainly and without equivocation, encompass the right to choose what is done to the body. Mandating a substance be injected into it is fundamentally a violation of those rights. And by the way, I I have to believe fear is the main reason why people cling to the idea that this is how it's got to be. We can't settle for anything less than everybody 
doing it, whether they agree with it or not. I'm certainly not going to stop you. If you want to do it, I say go for it. If it makes you feel safer, go for it. Maybe it actually makes you safer. But you've got to understand there is a reasonable limit when it comes to using the power of the state to force other people against their will to do something that you think is a good idea. See, and this is where the the inevitable comparisons come. Oh, so people should be able to drive drunk if they want to or shoot a gun in their neighborhood if they want to. I don't know why they always like to argue that one to the extreme, but why do we treat everybody as if they are driving drunk? Do we do that? Do we just pull over every single person? Or for that matter, forbid them from driving without an alcohol interlock in their car? You know the answer. It's no, of course not. Because it's not necessary. Now, people who have been adjudicated guilty of driving drunk, they often will have to, you know, bear with an alcohol interlock. If somebody did start shooting in their neighborhood and caused damage, you better believe the laws are on the books to hold them accountable. Why would you want to hold everybody else accountable? I'm assuming in most neighborhoods you'd find a fairly high, you know, ownership rate of firearms. Would we treat everybody like they were going to go out there and shoot up the neighborhood? Of course not. Nor should we treat everybody as if they are presumptively some form of typhoid Mary carrying disease everywhere they go. There's a great article on the American Institute for Economic Research website. Michael Fomento is the author. And he asks the question, when do we start coming out of the hybrid, I'm sorry, the COVID mass hysteria, the COVID mass hysteria. And I love that he starts with a quote from a Scottish journalist, Charles McKay, back in his 1841 book, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Men go mad in herds while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one. There's a reason that book is still in print today. Because he nailed a truth there that, that still applies in our day. Michael, uh, F- Michael Fomento says, The COVID-19 hysterica, hysteria, rather, scientifically caused mass psychogenic illness that began in March, has yet to peak. And he says, if some have it their way, it will continue indefinitely, merely going in medical terminology from epidemic to endemic. That is, it will never fully go away no matter what. We apparently finally have some medicines that work with countless more being tested. Doctors have gotten better at applying treatments. Vaccines are being administered in what's by far record time. Yet the media and public health community onslaught shows absolutely no sign of abating. We've heard White House COVID-19 task force member Dr. Deborah Burks claim this is not just the worst public health event. This is the worst event that this country will face. Not just from a public health side. Oy. This, even as we're now hearing the mainstream media led by cult figure Dr. Anthony Fauci say that vaccinations being rolled out don't mean the masks can come off. Start with the second first. Are there there are any number of cute memes asking in some manner if masks work? Why do we need social distancing? If social distancing works, why do we need masks? Well, it's called a layered defense, with no pun intended, regarding the use of masks or those people you've seen wearing two at a time. Cars are filled with a vast number of safety devices, and roads have also been made safer in myriad ways. But it doesn't mean they all don't work in their own manner. 
So whatever arguments there are against masks, such as they don't stop aerosolized virus, they aren't necessarily negated because social distancing is still encouraged or mandated. But then we're left wondering, so then when do masks come off? When do the other measures end if it's independent of vaccinations? We'll touch on that just the other side of our commercial break. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. Once again, I've been sharing an article here from Michael Fomento. When do we start coming out of the COVID-19 mass hysteria? And, and it's great. He asks a lot of really good questions here. Like, remember, we were going to flatten the curve. How long was that going to take? Was that a one-time thing? I believe it was. And, and look, the bottom line is, he says, what we have here clearly, in addition to a legit illness, is a pandemic of self-absorption, part and parcel to mask psychogenic illness. And he says, at some point, we're going to feel the shame of the Salem witch hunters and all those who aided and abetted them, those in court who squirmed and screamed every time a suspect witch was questioned. He says, maybe we'll shun the current panic mongers as those people were later shunned. But for now, it's full bore hysteria. And there's no end in sight. It's uh, more for that reason that indeed 2020 has been a very bad year. It's the year we kind of lost our minds. All right, let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. My friend Ray is standing by. Hello, Ray. Well, hello, Brian. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. And you? Well, good, good. You know, last hour you really described me. Or did you want to talk about the psychogenic? You know, um, let's let's talk about uh, what what hit the right nerve for you. Okay. Well, I, I don't have a photographic memory, but last hour I seemed to be talking about um, so, some people feel and a very powerful impulse to seek the truth and then speak the truth and to not care about glory or who gets the credit just to get it out there and and, you know i've I've been doing this well 20 years just on uh comparative religion but then the last four years since i got my smartphone i've been doing it in politics and everything and uh pseudoscience you you name it And, and you know a lot of people put me down but it doesn't discourage me you know, I mean, people don't realize it's hard to make a point in just a minute or two and cover all the bases, especially when you're multitasking. And, and so, yeah, I, I just I have this urge, this this prompting, this push just to get it out there. And, and last hour, you really described me. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are, are doing this, feeling this. Well, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the, there's there's a great need for it. But, um, you know, Ray, I've, I, I don't think I've made any secret of it. I, I really believe that I think God put purpose in every single one of our lives. And it's different for each one of us. So, you know, I couldn't sit there and tell you, Ray, this is your purpose. Go and do this. That's up to you to figure out. And, and it's up to you to, to act on it as you feel, you know, it best suits the reason that, that God put you here on this earth. 
And I, I'm not trying to push people into a religious corner. I'm not trying to back them into a corner and say, therefore, you have to believe in God. Um, I'm just telling you, this is what I've observed. This is what has brought more meaning to my life. And I am shocked at the number of people I'm encountering right now who are feeling a sense of calling in that part of their lives. The, and it, sometimes it's for speaking up for truth. Some of them are feeling a calling to, to you know, visit the, and comfort the lonely or to heal the sick or to educate the ignorant. I mean, there, it can take so many different forms. Yes, yes. And, you know, just when I call into the radio, it's not easy just to really bottom line a point because you have to look at it from so many angles. And a lot of people misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I mean, you almost have to build up to a point and then you have to qualify it and then categorize it. And and, and if you can't build up to it and, and you know, explain how you're qualifying your point and how what category you're speaking from, which angle or perspective, then it's really hard for all the ears out there to understand really when you're making a point what you're really saying. You know, and you're really good at doing that. You're, you're, um, I don't know where you got your gift from or where you've got your training from. But, um, yeah, I'll, t- you I'll tell you where, I'll gift. tell you where, you know where I got it. I, I, God blessed me with certain skills that he has blessed me to, uh, to develop and, and put to work throughout my life. And, and the happiest moment of my life was when I realized that if I would partner up with him, he would help me use them in the wisest way possible. End of story. There you go. There you go. Yes. And, and you know, you and I, our rights doesn't come from the government. They're, they're inalienable rights. That They come from God. And a lot of people don't really know that, you know, inalienable, you know, we're not to be restricted in any manner. We're supposed to be able to speak freely in any manner. And, and people have pushed our, you know, inalienable rights. They've quieted us. They've got it out of the public square. They pushed it out of the schools. And now we can't even go to church and worship anymore. I mean, I, I don't know if people realize that we're in quite a, a um, teeter-totter, you know, equilibrium, very vicarious, or I mean, very... Um, dangerous position right now. It's true, Ray, and I, I'm I'm glad you feel it, and I'm glad you're responding to it. Um, a, a good friend, a really dear friend, told me the other day, and, and I agree with him. He says, Brian, you're never going to be famous, and I and I agree. But that's and not that's the okay. that's not the point. I'm not here to be famous. What I'm here to do is to to be the best possible resource for people who are are looking for a different angle, something that gives them a little better understanding, not just of how the world might be, but also of of how they could play a stronger role in in bringing good and light wherever they happen to be. Yes, because we've got to make sense of all this. And if we don't make sense of all this, then we're just caught in the rapids. Yep. And we can't live a life being caught in the rapids. We have to get out of the rapids, get our feet firmly planted on the ground in truth, and and establish our families. I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) Ray, thank you so much for your call. Thank you, my friend. Have a great day. All right. Uh, There's one final 
article that I want to bring your attention to. And again, you will find this in the show notes. I've got them all linked there. So uh, just, you know, go to the com show notes for December 14th. This is an article from Donald J. Boudreau. It's uh, titled Tyranny During Its Reign is Unrecognized by Its Victims. And it's some remarkable historical perspective about how tyranny arrives and survives and how it can actually take hold. And yet so few people will see it for what it is. And in fact, most people won't see it for what it is until sometimes after the fact, but, but generally after it's too late to effectively head it off. And it's, you know, you think about the reign of terror in revolutionary France, the Nazis, the fascists of 80 years ago, Stalin, Mao, Saddam Hussein, Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, the Taliban. The people who found themselves living under those regimes. I can guarantee you a majority of them did not believe it was actually tyranny until it was too late to do something about it. That's because they believe the tyrants. They believe when the tyrants tell them, I'm just here to help you. I'm just trying to take you to a better place. I'm trying to protect you. Ooh, that's a big one. And the reason this matters is because the hygiene socialism that we're seeing right now, the COVID-19 lockdown orders, the mask mandates, the business closings, the school closings, we're being told that every one of these is necessary to prevent unspeakable loss of life. And that's why people obey, because they're afraid, right? This is to protect us. They're not seeing the bigger picture. And Donald Boudreaux points out, as with all tyranny, the truth will eventually emerge. In the future, people's eyes will open to the exaggerations. They're going to recognize the half-truths, the distortions, some of the outright lies used to excuse today's tyrannical restrictions. Someday, he says, people are going to look back on 2020 and see it as a year in which tyranny darkened the globe. Our children and our grandchildren will shake their heads in amazement. The adults, the adults of 2020 were so credulous as to fall for the hysterical overstatements and the deceits and duplicity used to justify this tyranny. They're going to be aghast that in 2020, so many reporters, pundits and politicians swallowed whole and without question all those over the top predictions of mad scientists like Neil Ferguson and his Imperial College colleagues. He says the jaws of our progeny will be will drop from puzzlement when they ponder the news media's atrociously poor and biased reporting on COVID-19. And our descendants will simply resign themselves to being unable to understand fully how and why we allowed ourselves to be engulfed by such tyranny. But he says, and then our children and grandchildren will pat each other on the back, confidently relieved by their knowing that they will never be so gullible as were those of us in 2020. Okay, so part of the duty you and I have is to make sure that those young people, our kids and grandkids, understand why it's tyranny. Why it's not a good idea. That's the work we have cut out for us. And yes, we're up to it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.